Do keep uh, the Bible open there at Luke 11 and 12, and I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your word spoken, that through it we know you, and we thank you for it being written down. We thank you for it being read, and we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in us that we might understand and have life through it. Continue to do that work we ask of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask, who are your favourite actors? Uh, I did think about, you know, you call them out at this point, but I might lose control of what's going on here. Uh, So I've got a few suggestions for you. They might be sort of generationally sort of specific, but anyway, we'll see how we go. Uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, Oh, that was good. Nicole Kidman. Just say yes if you like them. Don't say no if you don't. Uh, Someone a bit younger, Jennifer Lawrence. And, uh, of course, it wouldn't be a movie or a TV show if it didn't have a Hemsworth in it, perhaps. Uh, Actors have an interesting job, don't they? Uh, Because they're only successful when they convince us that they're something that they're not. Uh, You can't rely on Tom Hanks to fly a Saturn V rocket to the moon, uh, even though he did a good impression of someone who can. Now, of course, I've made this broad, sweeping generalisation, but in the present circumstances, I can also uh, say there is at least one exception uh, to that broad generalisation, sadly famous at the moment because of the war in Ukraine. That's President Zelensky. Uh, Before he was president and leading his country in a war against the Russians, he was in fact a comedian and actor. Not only that, and I know some of you have heard this, his most famous role was playing a teacher who is swept up by the people to become, much to his surprise, president of Ukraine. What do they say about life imitating art? Anyway... What Jesus says to us today as he speaks to the religious leaders and to his many followers is beware the wickedness of actors and acting. I'm just going to let that sit there for a moment. Now, I'm not about to pay out on your favourite actor, having said that, or denounce as ungodly Christians who act in a show at school or their community or even happen to make a career out of it. But I do want to take you back to the time of Jesus, uh, the time in which he lived, to the time of the ancient Romans and Greeks, and they loved their shows, their performances, their plays and their actors and acting. They even had a catchy name for their actors. They called them hypocrites. And so what Jesus does in the two episodes that we've heard read today is that he actually takes the experience that people who would have been all too aware of, uh, actors and the stage, of people who are one thing playing the part of another. And he says to us, beware playing the part of one, God, one of God's children when inside you're actually denying him. It's spelt out uh, in chapter 12 from verse 1. Let me read it. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were, they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, 
Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Uh, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Beware. Beware of the Pharisees and religious leaders. Beware of anyone who acts like they know and trust God, but it is only skin deep. They're only putting on a show, but it's not what's in their hearts on the inside. Don't be like them and don't be afraid of them. With that in mind, the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, those two uh, passages that we heard read, they go together. And if I was going to sum up these two episodes, I'd put it like this. Remember, looks can be deceiving. And you should play only to the audience of one. Now, come back with me uh, to get underway to chapter 11, verse 37. And these two episodes we're looking at, uh, they're the fruit of a growing conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, leaders like the Pharisees and the experts of the law. Here we get a very clear window into why comes about as Jesus has a meal at a Pharisee's house and the Pharisee, like all the teachers at this point, uh, they are watching Jesus carefully. They're sizing him up, uh, ready to decide whether they're happy with him or not. Think about the irony in that. And the ember that lights this particular fire is that Jesus doesn't wash before the meal. Now, if this was a complaint about hand hygiene, we should be all there, okay? Uh, what did you learn at church today? Imagine going home and saying this, oh, Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate and we shouldn't too. That would be incorrect. Uh, keep washing your hands before you eat. But what is actually going on here is Jesus is revealing his attitude to a bunch of rules and regulations, to the growing list of rules and regulations that made some people feel and appear very pious, very, you know, sort of religiously upper crust. But rather than revealing instead uh, the very law and heart of God, so Jesus, Jesus doesn't follow the Pharisees' regulations about ceremonial washing and knowing what they are thinking, he takes this ceremonial, this religious practice of phys physically washing cups and plates, that's another one they'd added to the washing of hands, and he immediately turns it into a picture of something far more serious, even grave. They were acting like they were spiritually clean in the sight of God by what they did, as if they were in a good and healthy relationship with God, worthy of respect among their peers and the people, when on the inside, Jesus says they are spiritually rotten to the core. Reading from verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? 
but now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Jesus has given his diagnosis. Now he points out the symptoms that led him to this diagnosis in each of three woes. They are three condemnations of how this plays out, what he's seen among the Pharisees. So we'll move through them quickly. Verse 42, they're cutting off a tenth of their herbs in their window box. They may not have had window boxes as such, but, you know, you imagine yourself with your window box actually going beyond God's law in that respect, albeit with this sort of itsiest, bitsiest type of thing. But they are neglecting what God really wants, the big thing, for them to treat people with justice and to love him. Verse 43, the second one, they encourage people to treat them with great deference and importance. After all, they are the the great interpreters of the law of God. But what Jesus says is that's not springing from their shared love uh, uh, of God's approval, but rather their love of approval from the people and how that bigs themselves up. Then verse 44, the third one, they have the appearance, even the opportunity to serve the Jews in the spiritual cleanness cleanness that comes from following God, but instead there being a danger to them. Not just a, a grave hole that if it's unmarked can open up and fall into and break your leg. By the way, there is a open hole outside the back stay away, don't fall in, don't break your leg. Uh, But according to the law of God, these people teach. They know that contact with the dead, which can happen if you fall into an unmarked grave, is a source of spiritual uncleanness. And Jesus applies it to them. Now, if you were in the room and you just heard what Jesus had said, I think you would make this choice. You would be wisest to keep your mouth shut at the moment, wouldn't you? Uh, Fly under the radar, so as to speak. Not draw attention to yourself. And yet, one of the experts in the law, he can't help himself. And he says to Jesus, what you're saying insults us also. And what's Jesus' response? Don't think you being caught up in my judgment is any accident. Let me tell you, you're just the same. And Jesus lays three woes before them. The first in verse 46. Uh, And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. The second in verse 47. They're just like those who killed God's prophets, uh, not serving God, but rising up against him. And if they continue to reject him, they will be judged just as seriously as their ancestors. The third, verse 52, they have the keys to unlock the door for people to flood into the kingdom of God. What an extraordinary picture and privilege that that through those keys, people could enjoy the relationship with God he longs to give. Yet Jesus says, 
They hadn't even used them for themselves. And they were stopping others. They were in the way of others passing through. Remember Jesus' warning of chapter 12, 1 to 3, putting, on it, putting his finger on what's going on here. What is it? Looks can be deceiving. Now that's true on several levels. Uh, let's have a think about this, uh, the end of chapter 11. Who is doing the acting? It's the Pharisees and experts of the law, isn't it? And who is doing the watching? It's the people who are meant they were meant to lead in godliness, in spiritual cleanness, in justice and love and obedience that comes out of that from to God. We who watch others, Jesus is saying, can be deceived. Now that's true, but I don't think that is the main landing point here in these particular episodes. Uh, the truth of that impacts all of these episodes, but even more important is the other one who is watching. Jesus has already, uh, Jesus has clearly been watching. He has the vision uh, to see beyond skin deep, to go backstage, so as to speak. He has the sight of God himself as God himself who sees what is disclosed and what is kept secret. And so where does he land as we end chapter 11, first and foremost? He's saying looks can be deceiving to others, but they don't deceive me. They may seem to serve you for a while, but ultimately hypocrisy is laid bare. And it's so much more important to get the inner self right then wash the outside of the bowl and leave the inside filthy. And so Jesus' challenge to us is, have you been cleaned inside? Have you responded in your inner self to the love of God and so expressed that love in love for him and in love for others? Did you notice how for each of the woes across uh, all of them, the result of their hypocrisy was a failure to love others? The Pharisees and the experts in the law, they heard Jesus' words, hard words, words spoken in love, necessary, and what they should have done was repented and believed, should have listened to Jesus and allowed his heart to shape their hearts as should we. But what is their response? They harden their hearts. They're ready to tear him down. From verse 53, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Without God's intervention, the human heart the religious heart, and, and very much in the opposite to true religion, is self-centred. It tries to prove ourselves, prove our worth to ourselves and to others and even to God. And we might even succeed, at least in part, at least in our own eyes. But do you think Jesus would have said what he said 
and done what he's done, even to the point of suffering and death, if we could do that for ourselves. No, he didn't. No, he hasn't. Working on the show (laughs) and neglecting our inner selves leads to disaster. We need to rely on Jesus if we're going to have a transformed inner life, a life that welcomes the king and the kingdom, a life that we can have even when Jesus can see exactly who we are without him. How exactly we do that is spelt out in the second episode we heard read today, chapter 12 from verse 1. And uh, where it's driving us is play to the audience of one. Uh, I'll explain a bit more about that in a minute. Uh, Now, I've already read verses 1 to 3, and that thread that looks can be deceiving, while uh, it's very relevant looking back to the end of chapter 11, it continues to be relevant here in chapter 12, but there is a bit of a transition that takes place. Uh, It shines its light from a different angle when you get to verse 4. I tell you, my friends, Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Instead, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. It just popped into my mind that I'm making it a lot easier for God by having this number of hairs on my head. Uh, But that's not the main point. Uh, What do you think is the heart of what Jesus is getting here? It's don't try and deceive God. Yes, we've already encountered that. But just as importantly, he's saying don't change how you act and behave because of God's work in your inner life because of how others will treat you when they come across that. Don't let your thoughts and behaviour be swayed by pressure from those who have the outward appearance of having some some, uh, power and uh, authority over you, over those who the people around us consider pious, consider to be most religiously genuine or promoting acceptable religion in their own eyes. And Jesus wouldn't need to say this if it wasn't a real danger. Uh, By talking about this, and even in the short time we have now to address this, it's not that it won't be difficult to navigate. We can experience pressure uh, from the media around us, uh, from popular opinion that it presents, uh, from social media, from your friends from the people you live with, even from your own family. To play to them as if they are our important audience 
as if they, what they think about us is what matters most. What we think and do, and I don't need to tell you that Jesus isn't talking about, you know, just the church stuff, what people who don't trust Jesus often live to the sum total of religious and God stuff. The people around us in the ways that we engage with them, look, it is a reality. They, they do exercise some degree of power over us and they can in line with the extent of their responsibility and authority under God for good in the service of living in our world, in the service of knowing God and loving him as well as loving others, or they can try to shape and influence us inappropriately in a way that is uh, uh, totally inconsistent with the inner life God gives us through the Lord Jesus in ways that don't line up with the heart and love of God. It begs the question, why do they even care? What's in it for them? And I take it it can make them feel more comfortable about having us around. Uh, it can make them feel better about themselves when it's driven by self-interest. It can make them feel better even about them and God. But Jesus says, don't be deceived by those appearances. Don't fear them. Trust the promises of God and the goodness of God even in the face of the difficult circumstances you may face. Fear him. Now you might notice on that heading, fear God, I've put an asterisk there. You know how when people put an asterisk and you have to go and read, oh, I have to read the fine print here. Uh, When we talk about God and God himself and through the prophets and through the pages of the Bible, he says to fear him. And I think our immediate reaction is to get a bit toey when we hear that command because we've all come across people uh, that we fear because they act inappropriately or use their uh, power out of self-interest rather than other person interests or Some people are just plain inconsistent, sometimes acting one way and then another, who are a danger to us, if not themselves also. But remember the character of the one we fear, the one in whom we trust. That is what gives us, gives our fear a very different shape. I'm so glad that Raluca hit upon this in our together time together, that God is the one who does not change. And so if you look at how he's behaved and behaved consistently and know he doesn't change, well, yes, he is the judge, but he is just. Uh, He is powerful, but he is merciful. He is even watching over you and caring for you and in control in any situation, even if you should be ill-treated for knowing and trusting Jesus, which in the situation can make us feel like he isn't in control. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. You are worth more to God than everything else in all creation. And we only have to look at the one here before us who is speaking. Jesus, 
the Son of Man, the Old Testament figure from Daniel 7 who rules with all power and authority, but he uses that to enter our world, to look impotent and to be humiliated on a Roman cross. But we remember, don't we? Looks can be deceiving. His weakness revealed true power. His strength was shown in humility. And so it's our attitude to him that matters most. As we take our place in living this life, our thoughts and decisions They need to be shaped by him. As I heard someone uh, preaching on a passage not unlike this uh, some years ago suggest, what we are to do is play to the audience of one. Have you ever been to the theatre or a play? Imagine uh, even if you just headed over to the Joan Sutherland over in Penrith and, uh, you know, the people who are performing, they're acting, uh, they, they plonk themselves on the stage and there's however many seats out there. And one of the things about performing and acting is people, uh, the, the actors love it to connect with their audience and the audience appreciate the performance when they feel they've connected with the actors. And what, what is being said here by Jesus is when you look out from the stage that is your life, there is only one sitting in the audience whose opinion of you matters. Live to please God and God alone. The confidence we can have when we're willing to name him as our Lord, regardless of what other people think or say, regardless of our own history that we have and the knowledge of our own sin, the very source of that confidence are found in the words that follow. Reading from verse 8. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what they, you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Now, a lot's been written about these words, and like everything in our Bible talks, you can, you can ask me uh, anything about them or God's word that you're reading and interacting with. I love nothing more than to continue that conversation. But we can't go into everything in detail here. I'm going to cut to the chase. Jesus is saying at the one time that if a person denies the message of the Holy Spirit, and what is that message? It's the message that Jesus is Lord and they should repent. If someone denies that message, rejects that message continually throughout their life, that alone is the sin that cannot be forgiven. And when you process it a bit more, that makes sense because trusting Jesus is the very way in which God offers us forgiveness. But 
And Jesus says, even if we should deny him on occasion, as did the Apostle Peter most famously three times before the rooster crowed, that can be forgiven. Even in the midst of suffering and persecution, the Holy Spirit will remind us of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the same Holy Spirit who brings us that gospel in the first place, who transforms our inner selves and enables you and I, when we could not do it in our own strength, to play to the audience of one. That is our confidence and that the gift of God. As God's children then, as people who've been inwardly changed by Jesus and his gospel, uh, let's be people, uh, let's be real with each other. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that you share everything with everyone. Uh, That's not the consequence of this word from Jesus, but as a church and in the particular relationships that God's given us across and within our church and indeed with other Christians also beyond our church, uh, let's be real about our struggles, our heartaches, our sin and our rejoicing. Let's not pretend we're at one point when we're really at another. We can't help each other and encourage each other and pray effectively for each other. If you're playing a part rather than opening up about yourself, or if I'm playing a part rather than opening up about myself, But if we can be real with each other, because at the end of the day, that's the reality uh, that God is operating in and that he sees us in together by God's spirit. We can stand firm against looks that can be deceiving and together encourage one another to play alone to the audience of one. How about I lead us in prayer? Dear Father in heaven, uh, we thank you again uh, that your word meets us powerfully this day, that it shows us what we are like without your heavenly intervention and wonderfully, by the power of your word, protects us from our own sin when we hear and listen and obey. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be wise, to recognise reality and live in step with it, not to try and hide things from you, but to know that Even when you know everything about us, you are so wonderfully gracious as to decide to love us anyway. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.